a bar on a cool winter's evening underneath the stars, and we'll find somewhere close we don't. And with that sound, coming to you live from Chico in California, United States, it's my pleasure to welcome you to a very, very special virtual Meet the Brewers in the cool room uh, with the good people from Sierra Nevada. Uh, my name's David Griffiths, so I'm one of the co-hosts here. And before I introduce you to the rest of the gang, I'll just run through a few uh, little housekeeping uh, notes. As people who listen in regularly will know, these notes seem to get longer and longer every time. So buckle in and get ready for, uh, for, uh, for my housekeeping and then for what's going to be a most exciting episode. Uh, we've got both people joining us live in the Zoom room today and, of course, listening via the podcast. So if you're in the Zoom room, please make sure that you're muted. There'll be the opportunity to uh, ask questions by the chat function. Uh, as we go, just type in your questions, or also at the end, we'll open things up for people who want to ask their questions directly. So you can hang on to your questions for that. Uh, today's episode is designed to be incorporated with some tasting packs that we've been delivering. So out of your tasting packs, you will need to have the Pale Ale, the 40th Anniversary Pale, the Hazy Little Thing, the Stout, and the Bigfoot Barley Wine. Uh, if you're listening via the podcast and you haven't yet got a pack, feel free to make contact with us and we can deliver you, if you're in Melbourne, Australia, a tasting pack so that you can enjoy those beers as you listen. Uh, we don't expect or even recommend that you try to drink all of those beers in the time that we'll be together today. That's a fair amount of, of alcohol. So feel free to make yourself a little tasting paddle so that you can taste things as you go or if you're listening on the podcast, uh, you can come back and press pause after each of the beers we discuss, finish your beer at your leisure, and then uh, come back on after that and um, listen to the next beer that we discuss. Uh, for everyone who's downloaded episodes recently, uh, a big thank you. We're heading towards our 50th anniversary, uh, or 50th episode, I should say, rather than anniversary, and there's gonna be some hijinks for that one. So if you haven't already uh, joined us on mm -hmm. Instagram and joined us on... It's okay, Facebook. give me one sec. And uh, <laughs> live podcasts. Uh, and if you uh, want to make sure that you are aware of all of our future episodes, join us on the mailing list that we're setting up as well. We've got some very exciting ones coming up. Very pleased to announce that we will in a couple of weeks' time have Deep Creek from New Zealand joining us. And uh, probably the week after that, our friends from Melbourne Kaiju, who are good fans and friends of the podcast, have done a collaboration man uh, and collaboration beer with Thin Man from Buffalo, New York. Uh, so we're going to get those guys on as well. Radio, that's almost enough from me. But first of all, I want to say a big personal thank you uh, to everyone who's been involved in getting this podcast ready to go. It's been a crazy week in Melbourne, Australia, as we've unfortunately had to re-enter lockdown for the coronavirus and as we've had to wrap up things at the pub and deal with deliveries uh it's been it's been a big effort from a whole lot of friends and a big effort from everyone who's been patient waiting for their deliveries to come so genuinely a big thank you from me to everyone who's helped with that two of the people who have been expert in their helping as ever have been my co-hosts travis bristow and warren Wu. travis and warren i'm going to hand over to you Thanks, David. 
Awesome. Thanks, David. Um, uh, so, uh, everyone, let's kick off with the payout. That the the big classic, the the one that everyone's known for. I thought it might be a nice idea um, to get Byron and Terrence to to give us a rundown of their of their history with uh, Sierra Nevada and their and their connections with Sierra Nevada. Um, Let's introduce and... them by name first, even. Oh yeah, let's. <laughs> Uh, Byron Witch, Terence Sullivan from Sierra Nevada. Right from Sierra Nevada. Be... Hello, everyone. We'll, we'll let, let Terence uh, go first. Oh, you want me to go first? I want you to go first. Right. You got the longer history. So, yeah. Um, so uh, I, I started working for Sierra Nevada 26 years ago uh, this past May. Um, I started as a graveyard brewer, uh, graduated from UC Davis Fermentation Science. Um, Graveyard Brewer for quite a few years, three or four years, uh, and then I moved into Cellar Manager. Um, so I was in charge of all of our fermentations, dry hopping, um, yeast management, those kind of things. Um, and then uh, slowly uh, there was a need through our sales staff to uh, have uh, brewers travel and uh, do similar things the, the, as this, you know, beer dinners and uh, go to pubs and talk about our uh, our brand uh, and our beers. Um, so I actually ended up uh, finding out that I hated managing people, uh, and it was great, really great to travel for uh, for the company and uh, represent the company. So uh, I kind of killed two birds with one stone uh, in that action, and I became the uh, brewer ambassador. Uh, for quite a while, along with Steve Grossman, uh, which maybe some of you have met uh, coming down uh, your way. Uh, him and I kind of went out and split the road um, talking about Sierra Nevada. Uh, currently, I do a lot of stuff with our small production brands, uh, but my, my main focus is to kind of bridge the gap between our marketing and sales uh, with our production facility uh, and departments and kind of uh, kind of just be the middleman between the two uh, two areas to to talk beer styles with the brewers and uh, try to alleviate any uh, needs or wants from the marketing department that are uh, that are too far fetched for uh, for what we do as a company. So, so that's about that's about it. Twenty six years of uh, uh, pure joy. Um, I couldn't. I literally when I went to college. Uh, my two breweries I wanted to work for were Sierra Nevada and, or Ankerstein. Uh, and at, at that time, Fritz Maytag wouldn't hire anyone with a college degree in uh, brewing uh, because he felt like uh, someone would come in with an opinion to uh, change the way they made beer. And so uh, luckily I landed with Sierra Nevada and Ken Grossman was very uh, open to uh, improvements and uh, increasing our uh, focus on quality as a company. So that's it. I'll let Byron go now. Yeah. So, cool. Yeah. I'm Byron Wetch. Uh, I've been with Sierra Nevada for just compared to Terrence half the time, 13 years uh, in September is going to be my birthday and my 13th year anniversary. Uh, I actually uh, moved to Chico for the same reason a lot of men move anywhere. I met my wife. She's a Chico native. 
actually met my wife backstage at a Primus concert, and that's a whole other story. That awesome. Respect. Yeah. Well, I feel like yeah. we're going to have to get into that yeah. at some point. She, yeah, she, <laughs> she did, she's their live concert photographer as far as the dog and cat groomer. I'd actually, you know, I have the third most useless degree on the planet. Uh, unlike Terrence, she's got a useful degree. I have my English degree. Uh, and I... Became a big fan of barley wines when I lived in Portland, Oregon. I wasn't much of a beer drinker. Uh, ended up one day somebody dragged me to Bridgeport and because I lived right next to Bridgeport back in the day. And of course, the drinker that I was just looked for the biggest number in ABV on the list, and that was their barley wine. And so that's how I jumped into beer. Um, yeah, straight into barley wines. Moved out to Chico. Uh, got a job here at Chico slinging beer in the gift shop. And... Uh, you know, it's funny because I used to see Terrence and Steve Dressler, Old Brewer, and uh, Bart, and um, oh God, I forget the fourth guy's name. We weren't open, the restaurant wasn't open on Mondays, and they'd go grab some beer and then go hit a local taco truck. And when I first started working here, I was like, man, I want to be part of that crew. And uh, <laughs> after several beers later in the pub, uh, they've allowed me to be part of this crew. Uh, Brian Grossman took me out of uh, slinging beer in there. and. Booted up the gift, the the tourist department, um, which is also hosting beer camps, things like that, which has been a lot of fun. Hosted uh, two Australian beer camps, which was was an interesting time. One time, I almost ended up going to San Francisco at two in the morning. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, yeah, we were outside of the Banshee at two in the morning, and Dave and the whole Phoenix crew was trying to convince me that it was a good idea to go with them to San Francisco. But yeah, you know. <laughs> I, I've been kind of the Swiss Army Byron of the brewery, um, you know, whether it be product innovation, these things, marketing events, or just, you know, having fun talking beer, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, the only thing I would change is I would travel back in time and go to UC Davis and get get a useful degree here instead of my English degree. But yeah, you know, you know what we say about what we say about Byron is he gives good tour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That I do, yeah. <laughs> Cheers to that. Oh. You know, it's 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 the tank tasting that convinces them. I just take them straight to the Bigfoot tank, and we start the tour that way. And yeah, <laughs> yeah but it, it's funny because Byron sometimes he he tells me which beers I, I sh it used to be back in the old days. Byron, you got to go to this tank or that tank and and check it out. You know, now he goes, oh man, have you tasted the new barrel aged beers in the back? So yeah. I don't <laughs> So we have a lot of fun in this job. It's it's a unique gig, and you know, um, Ken allows us to do this, and it's 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 a lot of fun. It's I, you know, we're in the beer industry, and even in these times, you know, everybody pulls together, and you know, we we still have a great time. So, yeah, yeah. One of, one of you know one of the things before we get started and talking about the beers is like one of, one of the beautiful things about working in a brewery is. Um, for me is at the end of the day that pint in the pub um just the fruits of your labor um you worked a good hard day uh and, and enjoying that pint uh in the pub is uh is mm. absolutely spectacular and we're fortunate enough to have pub atmospheres at both of our breweries um you know where general public's there and you're there with coworkers, and it's awesome yeah, most of our ideas, half of our ideas happen in the boardroom. Yeah. 
and the yeah. other half happened over a couple pints down the pub. So, which yeah, is actually how Torpedo yeah. got started, which yeah. is a whole other story. Yeah, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna talk about that later. Yeah, that's <laughs> way to do it. Yeah, uh, I think that every decision should be made like that. It's yeah, half in the boardroom, half in the pub. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, moving on to the, the the great thing about having two people who have been with the company so long is that some of the questions that, that that go to the very heart of the company and from the very beginning, you guys have probably absorbed through through your time there. Uh, so the first one is a parallels, uh, of course, the uh, the first iconic thing that you think about when when it comes to Sierra Nevada and that that classic green label. Um, it's changed the landscape of, of, of well, it pretty much created the landscape of, of craft beer, um, both in the US and Australia. Uh, what, what, tell us a story behind, behind the parallel. What's the, what was the original thought that, that went into this little number? Go Byron. Tell, tell Ken's story. So <laughs> Ken's story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, so pale ale was actually one of the original three beers that um, that Ken brewed. Uh, Stout was actually the first, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Uh, whether porter or pale ale was the second or third. Uh, there's a lot of debate around the brewery. I think after almost 40 years of drinking pale ale, it can be hard to pin that down. But, uh, you know, when Ken came out with this beer, he always likes to comment that nine out of 10 people didn't like pale ale when it came out. It was when you think back to the beer industry 40 years ago, uh, it was a pretty big hot bomb compared to what was out there in those days. Uh, late seventies in the American beer world was, you know, very consolidated. Uh, lots of what we call supermarket beers, just, uh, light mainstream American lagers. And, you know, I think a lot of people really hooked into that flavor. A lot of people, obviously Ken, Ken went through, 10 batches on his own 10 barrel system before the 11th batch turned out. So, um, yeah. And when I came, you know, when people ask for a Sierra Nevada, they're obviously asking for a pale ale and it's the beer that the whole craft brewery compass points to, uh, whenever we end up, you know, Terrence and I sometimes travel to other breweries and when we end up at other brewers, uh, houses at, you know, late at night uh two in the morning and we go for a beer in their fridge besides their own beer they've they've got pale ale in there and i think that's where a lot of that you know american craft beer compass i call it my home base beer uh not my go-to beer it's my it's the beer that i go on these little adventures and try all these different beers and barrel aged beers and big beers and all the sour beers and i i keep coming back to pale ale it's it's the beer that no matter where i'm at um, you know, that I can be guaranteed that I'm going to get in, you know, Ken spent a lot of time working on this recipe and yeah, it's, uh, save the cascade hop industry. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's, it's one, it's still one of my favorites. People ask me what my favorite beer is. My favorite beer of all time is our, uh, our barrel aged narwhal. Uh, yeah. but obviously starting the day out where you guys are at noon with a barrel aged narwhal might be a shorter day. But, you know, I keep coming back to this. I keep coming back to pale ale all the time. So, yeah. yeah. For, for me, uh, pale ale, uh, you know, that, that's, that's what kind of got me into craft beer. Um, literally in uh, parking lots, seeing the Grateful Dead back in, uh, oh, yeah. uh, in the early 1980s. Um, that's what introduced me to 
craft beer introduced me to home brewing. Um, you know, if you go to our website, uh, you will find uh, Ken's homebrew recipe um, on on our website, so you can actually mimic it. That's a five gallon batch. Um, so, uh, but you know, uh, thinking about like pale ale, you know, Byron mentioned it. It's funny. We'll go down and uh, visit Benny at Russian River uh, down in the Bay Area, and, and it's like what do you want us to bring? And he's like, just bring a few cases of pale ale, you know, and when you, when you go to his house, pale ale's in the fridge. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those beers that I think a lot of people in the industry, um, realize what kind of a, a gamble Ken took whenever he, he made pale ale. Uh, and literally it was, um, it was a gamble. I mean, he had no for sure, things that people would like it. He liked it. Some of his friends liked it. Um, slowly but surely, I, w- I always say it's, it's kind of like um, uh, hot salsa. Like the more you kind of drink it and the, or the more you dip those chips, uh, you, you start developing a, uh, a love for, uh, for that kind of stuff, you know? So, so for me, like pale ale is just, it, it is so solid. Like right before we got on here, I had, uh, I didn't want to drink too much before because, you know, it's seven o'clock at night here. And uh, usually I'm like half in the bag by now. But um, <laughs> I, I wanted to respect the fact that we were on here. Uh, but uh, so, so anyways, I, I had, uh, I had our summer lager uh, and I popped this and I was just like, oh my God, just the, the aromas and the flavors and the, um, you know, and, and you guys, uh, which, which one do you have? Do you have the draft style or the regular pale ale? Can someone throw their Lipa. bottle up in front of me? Oh yeah. Yeah. So you have the bottle conditioned. So, you know, uh, traditional, um, uh, you know, bottle conditioning. And I think, uh, what's, what's the brewery in Australia? Um, sorry. I oh yeah. Which that, bottle conditions. Oh yeah. Cooper's probably Cooper's. Cooper's yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, there, there's actually some stories where Ken, whenever he was first kind of developing the bottle conditioning process for this beer and dialing it in and getting it just right, um, he was in contact with them, uh, kind of wow. trying to figure out uh, if he could do it properly. Or they say early, early stages of, because I, I had pale ale and parking lots of dead shows, you know, and you're pretty, uh, pretty out there. Uh, you're not really paying attention to <laughs> To what's in the bottom of the bottle but they, they said back in the day that consistency was a little off in the early 80s and sometimes there would be about a quarter of the bottle would be yeast uh so so anyways uh but we have a dialed down now i dialed in now and you know i i just love the fruity characteristics that come from the bottle conditioning it's just it it it's just adds another dimension to the beer that uh that i think is so fabulous um, you know, we drink them off the fermenter prior to the bottle conditioning process, and it's it's a totally different beer. Um, we've actually looked at going away from bottle conditioning because it is uh, not only is it labor intensive, it's very expensive. Um, so our process of bottle conditioning, uh, we do it at a, a fairly cool temperature, um, uh, roughly. Uh, uh, 60 62 fahrenheit so i'm trying to remember what that is that's like uh oh. 18 18 ish or something like Celsius, that I think. something like that um and so it's a little on the cooler side than we actually ferment uh so it takes us 14 days in a warehouse before this beer is actually deemed ready to ship and uh go out on a truck we we taste them at 
day 10, each bottling at day 10. Uh, and then we uh, determine whether it needs to maybe go another day. Uh, it, inevitably, it will, it will make its way to about 13, 14 days before it goes out of our warehouse. Wow. And then every, everything's cold that's shipped out. And so everything that's shipped to Australia is on a cold container uh, all the way there so that we ensure the freshness. That's amazing to hear. That's actually really amazing to hear that the, that much love goes into that beer, considering how big, like you, you guys are still craft, but a very big brewery. Um, I want to come back to a, a point that you guys have made throughout that discussion of the, the origins of the parallel. Um, so I took 11 batches to kind of get to, to something that Ken, Ken wanted. And there's the bottle conditioning component as well. How much has it changed subsequent how much has it changed over the years um you know all different factors hop availability i suppose terence you can speak to that a bit and, yeah. and how it's how it's constructed yeah the the uh you know for for me the one of the one of the biggest things that and i, I was actually write, writing this just the other day with uh um on beer advocate um was um Malts were way different then. Um, not terribly different, but, um, you know, Clogus was one of, you know, malts over the years, they have a lifespan of about five years because then they find something else that's more, you know, it yields more per acre and, you know, the, the grower's going to want that, um, you know, money, mm. money, money drives all that <laughs> stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but I remember uh, in the early days, um, when I first started working there is we had a dextrin malt in it, which, which was a, a poorly modified malt um, that, that had some more residual sugar uh, to it. Uh, nowadays we have a much, much more sophisticated uh, mashing processes um, where we can actually take care of that. So it's all two row malt now, and it's, it's still the caramel 60 that we've always used. Um, uh we we have obviously changed suppliers over the years um hops mainly the only thing that has really changed in this beer has been the bittering hops and we'll we'll kind of go back and forth and um you know pearly whenever i first started we did magnum for a while uh but that was like the first edition and so we never found anything that really uh changed that overall flavor it's always been whole cone um cascade hops um, and, and about the same, about a pound per barrel, uh, from the day I started to where it is now. So I don't think it's drastically changed. I think some of the things that have changed for the better is, uh, you know, putting in new bottling lines and, uh, things that, uh, that have, have increased the quality of the beer more than anything. Um, so, you know, and, and like our cellaring process, we, 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 um, we monitor fermentation and we actually um, we do a process where we, we call it bunging the tank and, and that's uh, allowing it to build a certain amount of top pressure. Um, so we, we let it build that top pressure a little, little under one bar um, and, and that drives the CO2 to roughly what a cask condition beer is, uh, maybe a little bit higher at about two volumes of CO2 um volume to volume co2 and then we add the bottle conditioning uh, component to it and we actually add sugar um so we use a uh uh, uh mainly uh used to be tapioca um and mainly uh 
uh, GMO free uh, sugar uh, is added to it and straight fermentable sugar. Uh, we make a syrup, we blow it into the tank. Uh, we add a certain amount of yeast so that we have uh, roughly 1 million cells uh, per, per milliliter uh, in there so that we have a nice, we don't have too much yeast, we got just the right amount. Uh, we've engineered our, our bright beer tanks. Uh, so all of our new bright beer tanks have, you know, special pumps, programs, things like that. So really, I, I think the, o- the, the only thing that's really changed in this beer is it's just gotten better. Uh, and mainly a lot of that is through technology and, uh, uh, and, and learning, learning quality more and more and uh, adding to our labs and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you know, and yeah, you know, when you go back to the history, um, you know, the first 10 batches went down the drain because Ken was basically taking what was a five gallon batch and, you know, trying to bring it up to a 10 barrel system. Now, that, as far as homebrewing, and one was the thing when I first started um, homebrewing, I tried to make pale clones, and there was something always a little bit off about it. And then I read about how Ken's 11th batch, he found out that yeast, um, our yeast strain, is pretty heavy on needing a lot of oxygen, and he wasn't getting enough oxygen back into the wort. So he took a pipe and pounded it flat into a flange, and so it would spray and basically aerate the batch as he transferred it into the fermenter. Um, and that basically, but that's where batch 11 turned out. And when you go back to some of the equipment like Ken was, or like Ten, Terrence was talking about, the quality, you know, when Ken started this brewery, you know, almost 40 years ago, he was actually buying used dairy equipment to ferment in a lot of that. And dairy is not designed to take, you know, if you have pressure in a dairy tank, uh, when you're doing dairy, you have other issues going on with your dairy production. So those tanks were never designed really to, you know, basically, as Terrence was talking about, bung the tank and let the pressure build up. And also the bottling line, if you ever read Ken's book, was, you know, I always refer to it as the Widowmaker because that thing must have been throwing glass everywhere. <laughs> and, you know, every time, every, every other bottle would, you know, the labeler would break a bottle and, you know, he, he had a lot of production, but he was picking up a lot of oxygen in that process and the beer wasn't staying very fresh. So just, just to kind of get around the tank pressure and get around the picked up oxygen, he went back to the home brewer's trick and bottle conditioned the batches so it would build up that carbonation and you know it, it makes it a really long process for a production brewery like our size to be doing you know bottle conditioning that much pale ale but it, we've terrence and i have both tried versions that you know when we tried to experiment with not bottle conditioning it just yeah. it, it it doesn't a have that beer. same flavor totally yeah. different beer yeah yeah and um, and you know going going back when we actually made that we we were thinking about it it's like oh you know because we had to build more as we expanded the warehouse has to get bigger and bigger and bigger right to hold hold more volume of mm-hmm. uh, a bottle conditioned beer and, and when we get to celebration ale which is also bottle conditioned um it's all, all hell's breaking loose back <laughs> there because it's just actually absolutely crammed packed full of beer because we have two brands um that are uh needing uh 14 days in our warehouse and then so, we throw a Bigfoot, which needs a whole month on top yeah, of that. <laughs> but, but going going backwards, have we maybe changed, um, you know, 
16, 20 years ago, ah, probably people wouldn't even remember, you know, uh, yeah. nowadays. But but to, in our hearts, that was not, it wasn't right. It wasn't pale ale. It wasn't mm -hmm. what we know. So. Uh, one we got to drink. We got to drink it all, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the guys in the the chat rooms has brought up a, an interesting point. Of the ten original attempts that Ken made, have have has the brewery ever gone back and had a look at those attempts and gone, well, well, maybe there's something there that we can we can use? Have they have they used? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think those were just like Ken's. It was like all the ingredients were all the same. It was yeah. just shitty fermentations, you know, I mean, literally, <laughs> you know, people always, we make this cult beer uh, called, uh, uh, it's a pale bock in essence. Uh, and, it, and it used to be Chico only. And, and then it got into a little bit of Northern California, but all the home brewers always ask me like, man, why don't you guys bring back the old recipe? The old recipe was so good. And, and I remind him that the old recipe was not good. It was unfermented, <laughs> unattenuated because the yeast sucked and we didn't know how to uh, manage yeast. So, uh, so it wasn't good. Uh, now oh, yeah. it's, now it's good. Now it's like clean and nice finish. And, you know, it used to be a headache bomb with all these fusel alcohols that would just like, oh, yeah. drive right. you nuts. <laughs> that's, that's brewers being nitpicky. I love it. Well, um, I think that goes a lot back to Ken too. You know, he could have snuck those first 10 batches you know, and been like, hey, you know what? It's close enough, whatever. But, you know, if there's one thing we can all, you know, that Terrence can attest to, it's Ken is above the standards that, you know, like if it's, if it's not up to his standards, it's not a product we sell. You know, if it's, you know, it's not going to be like, you know what? it's close enough like and you think about ken starting that brewery you know 40 years ago into two years after taking several family loans and being at the end of his rope having to dump those first 10 batches down the drain um instead of just trying to sell them and trying to make a little bit of money and going you know what it's close enough like that's a that's a pretty big testament to how ken operates even to this day yeah 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 um coming along the same lines uh the parallel has been hugely popular for so long um where do you see that going is that is that something that's going to go on do, do you think it will, will maintain that uh what do you see emerging in the future for you guys what what's well, other things that might be big on the radar i'm going to take this one Byron. you do uh, <laughs> i'm not uh, touching <laughs> Pre-pandemic, uh, pre, pre I would tell you that um, uh, it's a struggle. Um, pale, ale, pale ale has been losing ground um, year in, year out. Um, the, the one, <clears throat> we had a point and um, it was our 30th anniversary, so it was 10 years ago. Um, and we came out with these, um, I think... Part of it, I'll say this, 10 years ago, we were, we were starting to become unrelevant uh, to the craft beer consumer in the United States. Um, and you gotta, you gotta imagine like most of our sales are in the United States. So that's a lot of my, my theory on this, but um, we were, we, that's whenever the kind of craft beer was really starting to boom. And, uh, and, and we 
decided we were going to come out with these four beers throughout the year, cork and cage and, uh, you know, work with the, the giants in the industry that paved the way with craft beer. And so we've worked with Fritz Maytag and we worked with, uh, Charlie Papazian. Uh, we worked with, uh, uh, Don Barkley and, uh, um, shit. Um, Fred Eckert, uh, Jack McCullough. Yeah. yeah Jack McCullough. And, um, so all the pioneers, right. And we made these series of beers, uh, and it put us back on the map. And so we saw this, this increase for a few years of pale ale kind of doing good again. Uh, and then we've, we've really seen it start to drop off, um, year in, year out, like I said. Um, and it was struggling at the beginning of this year. Again, it was down close to, uh, double digits. Um, and you know, you got to imagine we used to make over a half a million barrels of, uh, of pale ale. We make a little over 400,000 barrels now. So, uh, that'll give you an idea of, of how, uh, how it's losing a little bit, but since the pandemic hit, it's through the roof. So like our core brands, Hazy Little Thing, Pale Ale, Torpedo are just skyrocketing. We're, we're projected now, we were projected to be down. I, I don't want to talk too much business, but we were projected mm -hmm. to you be know, it's, down. You know, we're excited by those sort of things. Yeah, but, but we were projected to be down by 13% um, before the pandemic hit. Now we're projected to be up above 8%. Uh, and we're, we're seeing no end. June, June literally was the most beer uh, that was depleted uh, out of our distributorships in the history of Sierra Nevada. Wow. And I think it goes back to the fact, and this is what I would like to say about pale ale and maybe the future of pale ale is the, the, that core beer that is just something that uh, you know, for me, it's it's the same thing with a lot of things I purchase is like when I find something I love, I'm always going to go to it. I'll venture out and I'll taste some other stuff. But that core beer and I think that's what's happened with the pandemic is people are shopping. They, they don't have time to go into a store and shop for stuff. Right. They're just going in and kind of like, oh, I know this is good and, and I'm going to take it. Um, I don't know if anyone's been to the United States or if they even have it down there, but Craft mac and cheese is doing really good too. Just <laughs> <laughs> like, like comfort food, right? You know, like like you go back to your roots and you go back to like, oh shit, I don't even have to think yeah. about it. I just grab a, grab a six pack of pale ale and it's gonna fucking taste. Well, good it's like the toilet paper. It's like, right. uh, well, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are you oh, doing yeah. with your toilet paper, Warren? Why is it a comfort? It's been a thing, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Well, okay. yeah, going back to going back to what you know and what you love. Yeah. Sure, mate. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna intervene at that point, Warren, before you tell us anything more that we don't want to <laughs> we don't want to hear from about your what gives you comfort in life. And um, Terence, you've touched there on the hazy little thing in terms of the core range. So why don't I sort of yeah. make the point that people might want to get their cans of hazy little thing out of their little cool packs or. Uh, whatever they have their hazy little thing contained in, and um, we'll uh, we'll give people a second to open up that one. And obviously, I was just going to do both of them. Excellent. So. Can, <laughs> oh yeah. I think most people will have received a wild little thing as well. Uh, so feel free to talk about both of them, um, guys, because I guess this is. Just race off and from... grab mine. Give me one second. No um, worries, Travis. We can do that. 
And we can, we can cut that out later. Yeah, um, it, 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 as far as what you were saying, Warren, about like where is the industry going to go? You know, yeah. it, it, it is just, I mean, for me, it is so, it, it's, it, especially being in this industry for 26 years, it's freaking whack. I mean, yeah. it, 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 it changes almost every day. Um, yeah. You know, um, I, I would love, my, my personal thing is, is I love, I love beers that I can have multiple. Yeah. Sessions, A couple of, right. Yeah. So pale ale's great. Um, yep. I would love to see Pilsners make some sort of push in the craft beer industry. Yeah. I, uh, I don't. I, I've said both. that. I've said that for fifteen years. Yeah. And and I don't know. Every every time I'm like, oh, you know, like we. I thought we had a great great Pilsner, and it kind of died off. Look at uh, Firestone Walker. They make one of the best Pilsners in the country uh, with Pivo Pils. Hmm. And and it it did okay out of the gate, and then it started to kind of fail a little bit. You know, they get more success out of eight oh five, and I love it. I'm gonna say this and probably piss off uh, uh, Matt Reynoldson, <laughs> but uh, but probably probably not. Is is uh, most of the brewers there are like, uh, give me a Pivo pills. I'm not drinking eight oh five. You know, uh, so uh, but that is they they won't admit that, but uh, I. It's 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 not a style that they they particularly enjoy. I would assume, um, and it's not you know. I mean, for me, like some of our styles, I don't I don't drink all the time. Um, but uh, they're for somebody. The, so. a, a funny thing about how how your parallel has gone up it's for for us and speaking to people in the Australian industry, it's all of the it's all of the weird and wacky things or the, the really big things which have gone, gone gangbusters in our in, industry. Like at the moment, there's an obsession with, with pastry stouts. Everyone's yeah, producing that, a pastry Oh boy. Stout. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that, that, that's, the same, that's the same here. And it, it is so funny though, but, but you know, I'll, I'll my wife, she freaking loves them. <laughs> yeah. And, and so she buys the competitors beers because we don't make pastry stuff, <laughs> you know? So, so I'm on my, uh, on our innovative crew and on our, uh, uh, you know, uh, barrel guys, you know, like make a pastry stout. And they're like, we don't like to drink those, you know? And it's like, wait a minute, we're not making beer only for ourselves. We need to make beer for our uh, consumers too. Yeah. Because, uh, and, and I think there is, there is that Avenue for, for, uh, we, I had a meeting today. I mean, literally today we had this, uh, we're starting to open up e-commerce. We've never done e-commerce, you know, where we can uh, ship beers. And we want to do these little like 200 case things and be like the cool kids, you know, be like modern times and be like, mm. uh, you know, um, Benny and, and stuff like that, you know, and it, it's uh, the brewery. Um, and and we can do it because we're, we're capable of doing it. And that's yeah. going back to pale ale, pale ale, you know, it, it, we always say pale ale turns our, li our lights on, right? They keeps the place running so that we can do cool, fun shit, you know? Mm. So, Can I just ask a question there? Beck, who's in the chat room with us at the moment in the, in the Zoom room, has asked a really sensible question, which is what actually makes up the core range at the moment from your guys' point of view? Because it's funny what we get in Australia, what's come in and out of what we think of as the core range beers that I've loved over the years, like the Ruthless Rye, which I have to ask about at some stage, you know, one of my all-time favourite Sierra Nevada beers, you know, what makes beers drop in and out of that core range and what's in there at the moment? 
Go ahead, Byron. I got I got to pull, pull up yeah, this. Uh, Terrence is gonna, I got to pull uh, up this meme that someone sent me since Ruthless Rye is one of your favorites. Oh yeah. Um, I'll, I'll bring this. Um, and and don't don't judge me. Um, I think this is really funny. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, a, I, sorry, sorry, sorry. I want yeah. that hat. But for, for people who aren't in the Zoom room, Terence has just shown us a picture of a hat. With, it, it's red with white lettering. I don't know whether that has any significance in America. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we've made ruthless dry again. Um, I'm on board for that. Like I am. I have a South Park member berries uh, poster that says, "Member ruthless rye. I member. I member." <laughs> Member, member, yeah. red label wheat. Now you know a lot of pale ales. Definitely, still a large chunk of our business. the The funny thing is with hazy is hazy has become a huge part of our portfolio. You know, when we came out with it, I think people ended up drinking the first year two to three times the amount we thought they would, and so there was a big rush to do that. Torpedo is part of that that the family too, and you know, speaking back to Terrence and sales. Torpedo was 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 slowly decreasing as time went by, and now Torpedo has seen a surge in sales again. Um, our seasonal brands, but yeah, it's it, it kind of goes back to drinking what you know, and it goes yeah. back to that home base beer. I think you know we all go on those crazy adventures, and I'm gonna have Terrence say we're never gonna make a pastry stout because we have this secret motto uh, no, here when we say we're never gonna yeah. do something. I set a timer and we're never yeah. going to do it. Like before I started here, we'll never do 12 packs. We'll never do Belgian beers. We're never going to do a hazy beer. And now this thing yeah. is like fruit like, in a beer, hard. beer in a can. What are you? Yeah. yeah about? Beer in a can. We'll never do a can. Yeah. No, uh, no. Yeah. It's uh, so, so, so as far as a core, uh, the company uh, pale ale hazy is coming on strong. Um, it surpassed torpedo. Um, Seasonal uh, is a big, big thing, but seasonal is up and down and, and across the board in, in the United States, most seasonals uh, from larger breweries are struggling. Uh, they're, they're, they're having trouble. Variety packs uh, are pretty big. Uh, you know, we have those, I don't know if you have them there, the like kind of superstores, uh, Costco's and Sam's Club or whatever they are, where you go and buy, you know, 87 rolls of toilet paper. And uh, I've got to bring paper up again. Um, but, um, and then, uh, you know, uh, they, it, it's funny because, you know, and it, it, it's, it's kind of sad whenever you, you kind of become a, a company our size, you got to, you got to bend a little bit, you know? And so a lot of like our variety packs are like IPA forward and, you know, and, and I have to fight with like the people on beer advocate that are all, these, these guys are beer geeks, man. And they love, they love great loggers and they, you know, why, why are you, your fall packs aren't the same as what they used to be. You know, they love like Tumblr and Vienna and uh, Oktoberfest and, you know, traditional styles of beer um, that, that, you know, um, yeah. I, I love too. And, Did you ever think you'd see a beer this color come out of this brewery, Terrence? Speaking uh, of, of things flying off the shelf. This is the is wild this little thing, which has a wild little thing. To it, but... um, sales for that are rapidly approaching the numbers, I yeah. believe, that we sell yes. in seasonals. So wow. we're, we're in a process of kind of um, uh, changing out the brewery a little bit. I don't know if you guys know, but uh, we, we opened up a, 
uh, what we call the Chico Fermentation Works, where we're making a kombucha, a hard kombucha now. Um, and it's in the early infancy stages. Uh, we just kind of launched it a, a few weeks, uh, uh, a couple months ago. Uh, it's in now phase two, and then phase three will be uh, nationwide. Um, so we have that. We bought kind of a, uh, we bought a brand called Sufferfest uh, that is, uh, how do we describe that, Byron? It's kind of for the athletic person. Yeah, kind of. um, it, 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 it's funny because I had to actually, I'm not, you know, the most athletic person out there. I had to look up a lot of the names, like the FKT and Head Start. And I'm like, what do all these acronyms mean? And, you know, fastest known time is what FKT means. Uh, Caitlin started that brewery um, in Berkeley, California. She was a UC Davis. Uh, you know, wanted something on the lower calorie, um, the lower, um, the gluten reduced style of beer. And so um, we partnered together with her to release that. I um, have to say for everybody out there that hasn't tried it, if you can find the variety of the Head Start Stout, um, I love the Head Start Stout. It it's, you know, rings in at 4.2% uh, alcohol, got a little bit of that coffee coconut flavor to it. And I, I, I'm kind of strange in the beer world. You know, like today when it was 110 out, I was out below the mister drinking a stout. And so I think, yeah, you know, made, made with out. yeah, it's made yeah. with coconut milk, but um, yeah, but it's pretty good. But, but go, going back to that is like, um, our, hazy is going to become a brand or, or little, it's actually little things is what we're calling it. So that's wild little thing, hazy little thing. Uh, we're looking at launching a, uh, a triple IPA, uh, Imperial IPA next year, uh, under that same brand. Um, so kind of starting to, to think as our company is getting a little bit bigger of kind of managing in different areas so we don't clutter up uh, the Sierra Nevada brand, um, you know, and, and start messing with pale ale mainly is what it, I don't know what it boils down to. You know, I think that's one thing if you would have asked Ken if you would have brought a SCOBY into his brewery to start making a, a hard kombucha, he probably would have locked you away if you'd asked him to do that well, the, right away. It, well, one of the things he's always been very interested in, in kombuchas and, and his wife's uh, into drinking them, not hard kombuchas. So his wife, here's a good, good little trivia thing for all of you. Uh, uh, his, his wife has never drank alcohol in her life. Um, pretty crazy, right? Uh, that's what I think. Uh, I, I part, I partied with Ken. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> that's wild. Uh, but he loves the notion of actual fermentation of anything. So the fermentation of tea, um, really, yeah. um, got, got him excited. I, I saw him today, actually, whenever I was picking up my beer, Byron, and he was picking up two 12 packs of kombucha. So there you <laughs> yep. go. it's not long till the hard seltzer. Is that what you're saying? Uh, <laughs> you know, I think uh, we kind of leapfrogged uh, over that to the the kombucha. You know, I, I feel like that's maybe we kind of we kind of feel like uh, hard seltzers have no soul. So we're not. <laughs> I'm not going to say we'll never do one, but 
Uh, if we do them, it, it will probably be one of, uh, under one of those other brands and not under uh, Sierra Nevada. No. If you do it's a like, hard kind of have no soul hat, I'll buy it. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> one of our listeners in, in the Zoom chat asked if you guys feel the pressure to, to follow beer trends along the path. And I guess talking about kombucha and splitters mm. and everything else, it's sort of, you know, they're all trends that seem to be doing the, the world over. So, I mean, in the last yeah. five years or so, hazies have been the thing here in Australia. And it just, it yeah. went from a couple of hazies to skyrocketing um, to, I don't, I couldn't even tell you how many there are on you the know, market. I think that's something to say about the hazies. When oh, the boy. hazies first came out, we actually, and here we go with the Simpsons reference, uh, me and a few people called them chowder state IPAs. And it oh, wasn't yeah. a term of endearment. Like, it's like... It's a shout out. No, it's pronounced shout out. Shout out. Say it right. And so everyone kept sending me these hazy IPAs. And I was like, I don't know what's wrong with everybody in New England, but these, these beers <laughs> don't taste good. Like, and we, we started, and there was somebody that worked here, and we have a tiny little nano brewery, and they'd lived on the East Coast, and they're like, let's brew a hazy beer on the nano brewery. And we finally did. And I tried it and I had this epiphany that I had with like Belgian beers that I had with Cezanne DuPont. You know, I tried them. I tried Belgian beers in the nineties and I was like, I don't know what's wrong with Belgium, but all these beers are terrible. And then I tried fresh ones and I tried a fresh new England style IPA. And the, it finally occurred to me. It's like, Oh, that's what it's supposed to taste like. You know, and you get these beers that have sat in a container, uh, boiling away, cooking, or, you know, these super fresh, juicy, hazy beers. And, you know, it was like, oh, man, that's actually really good. And, you know, Terrence can attest to this. We spent a lot of time working. You know, it's, it's funny when you talk to Charlie Bamforth about haziness and, like, how how we've spent all this time trying to unhaze beer in the craft beer world. And now we're trying to put haze in it. And one of the things that Terrence worked on really hard was to make it shelf stable. Cause that was what I was running into. I was trying these beers that had traveled. It's like seven months old. It's been in unrefrigerated, you know, area. And I was like, Oh man. And then, so we've spent a lot of time making a shelf stable hazy and we're spending a lot of time right. trying to make a, shelf stable kombucha so i don't know terrence where we yeah yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna so so i came up with a term uh to describe myself a few years ago um and i told our sales staff uh and i told our marketing team i've, I've never shared this outside of uh, uh those teams uh you have the record button on um and and i and, I, and I can i can kind of you know tiptoe around uh what's the truth and what's not but i have a term that i coined it's it's called transparency um <laughs> and hell yeah we feel uh pressure to to kind of do what is trends that are happening it used to be a time when we were like oh we're, we're late to the game or oh we're you know because i remember at, at one point i really wanted us push us to do some uh nitro beers right and especially a nit nitro ipa we had made a nitro ipa for our uh pub that people still ask for to the this day and it was our tropical torpedo and we called it don't steal this name i think we have a copyright <laughs> on it uh we called it nitropical um mm. 
and and there was just this like core of like 25 percent of the people that are regulars at the pub they're like when are you gonna bring that back when are you gonna bring that back right and so i actually wanted to put that in package and go national with it you know and and it was like i don't know a couple months after uh boston beer had come out with that series of um of nitro beers and um you know our, our head of sales and marketing is like oh we're late to the game we can't do that we'll look like copycatters you know we did that same thing with uh with hazy little thing um we made a new england ipa we thought we were late to the game but we were the only ones that could make one that we could nationally distribute uh and keep that consistency and and really make it great so so i always feel like us as a company like you know i don't think we're stealing anything from anybody by you know someone made a you know it's not like we're the only ones that make a new england ipa um we we just make a really fucking good one is, is having it in cans uh, is it in bottles in the u.s or we only get it in cans is it in cans everywhere and is that part it's of the process only. does make it more stable yeah, you know, we, we do. Um, and I'll be honest with you. Um, we, 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 we struggle with, I think every, I think every brewer struggles with haze. Mm. Um, you know, we, we figured out how we can get it really, you know, to a point where we don't have to worry about it too much. Hazy little thing. Um, we can, we can actually get that keg version as well as, uh, is, can version but cans always great because if you got a little settling and you go to pour that you're going to rouse up that yeast and you're going to throw it right back into the into the thing so one of the things is we said we'll never do a hazy in a bottle and i don't think anybody does a hazy in the bottle just for that particular reason but um but we've we've struggled with some other beers uh, we just came out with a fantastic haze um and we actually pulled all the kegs because we felt like they weren't the 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 yeast was settling too much in, in the kegs and the problem with a keg is you start draining off that bottom and you start pulling that yeast and then all of a sudden you're getting totally clear beer where if it's in a can and you start pouring it um you're not going to really see that it's kind of clear coming out at first and then you're going to get that yeah. slug and yep. everything's going to go right back in there you know and i, I mean that's kind of the beauty of what I think the the East Coast, the people that develop that style, and, and especially the ones that are like they look like freaking milkshakes, or they actually look like you know orange juice. We've had um, a few of those out here at the moment. Yeah, that yeah. that, that uh, there's so much solids in there. I mean, if you spun that down, it probably, half of it's got to be solids. I don't know what <laughs> Being a little bit of my science background, so. So, how many hazies did you guys go through? So, how many hazies were made at the brewery before you sort of settled on on this one as becoming part of the core core range? There, there was quite a few, but we were really under the gun to actually make this one. I remember the first the first batch that actually came out and we sold, which we loved and we we liked a lot. Um, but that's when we found out that um, we hadn't gotten that haze stability just right, and so we weren't adding the right amount of oats, the right type of oats. Um, so you know, naked to rolled. Um, you know, th those kind of manipulations that we do in there. Um, so what, what ended up happening though is, is, uh, 
is, and I'm being recorded again, shit. Um, <laughs> our, our, uh, our head brewmaster at the time, which now is our head of, uh, 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 he's our, our head technical brewer now. He's, he's moved on to kind of manage our innovation and R&D departments. Uh, very smart guy. Um, came out of AB program uh, and then worked for Southern Tier, Sean Lavery. Um, he changed, you know, these are, these are those decisions where Ken comes to you and says, make this this way, you know? And so he made a decision, executive decision, like, oh, okay, I'm going to add this, this, and this, you know? And it's like, sent the, sent the, 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 the price of the beer to make uh, yeah, quite a bit increase, you know? Um, so, uh, so, but we knew it was a better beer. So that's where we went, oh, well, you know, that's just, just the nature of the beast, you know? gotta gotta make it better so and uh and just so our listeners that are sort of listening to this later on can sit down and really sort of take in everything in this hazy because there's a there's a lot going on uh why don't you run us through um give us a a quick breakdown of the hops and the flavor profile of what uh, the listeners should be looking out for when they're tasting it byron you want to go so definitely looking for the, you know, we, we call it juicy here. Um, you know, definitely a lot of that Mandarin, uh, mango, passion fruit flavor to it. Um, you know, one of the big hops that we're using a lot of lately uh, is Galaxy and Mosaic. Um, I can't remember the exact hop billion of Hazy Little Thing. Um, as I get older, all these hops are starting to jumble up a little bit, but um, you know, that's what you should get. Just that, that juicy orange juice, mandarin flavor that comes with hazy little thing. Um, some people almost get like, you know, that bubblegum flavor to it. So that's what we're looking for, for it. Um, you know, the nice hazy color to it. Not so much with ours that it looks like, you know, I call it the snow globe with the particulate floating around, but that shelf stableness that, you know, when you pour it, it doesn't settle out in the keg or into the can. Terrence, you got anything to add? Yeah, to yeah. I mean, uh, so we we add we add Citra. There's Simcoe in there. There's Comet, Mosaic, El Dorado. Um, those are all you know pretty big blends. Uh, I will say El Dorado is pretty heavy on this this beer. Um, Citra kind of plays in a, in a lot of our beers. Um, just has that real classic um, kind of. Uh, uh, fruity, grapefruity kind of characteristic. Um, you know, the mosaic and El Dorado comment, we're getting a lot of those kind of tropical notes, uh, with that. Um, I just find this, this beer, um, to me, a lot of the, the pleasant aspects are, are, are definitely, you know, the aromas, the aromas awesome, but I, I love the, the taste, um, the little, so, Going back to the style of a, a New England IPA, um, I've been doing a lot of work with Charlie Bamforth, who now works for Sierra Nevada. And um, Charlie is is very traditional brewer. Uh, he came out of the UK. Um, he was the uh, head professor for the fermentation department at UC Davis. Um, and and I was trained as a brewer, uh, as as he was. He's older than me. As um, beer is not meant to be hazy right? It's supposed to be brilliant, bright, you know, unless it's a hefeweizen. And so he actually posted something on his Facebook page and he put these two 
beers up and they were identical beers and one of them was hazy and the other one had been filtered and it was bright. Which one are you going to choose? And my response was, you know, and this was maybe two years ago. I said, two years ago, I would have drank the clear one and never touched the hazy one. But now after having hazy beers, I'm going after the hazy one first because I want to see what it's all about. Mm. Um, because the, the hop characteristics that are locked in with the yeast and the proteins and everything else that's in there and they come out in the flavor. Um, this, this has this residual sweetness that I find very pleasant. Mm. I never used to like sweet beers, but I love the, 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 the oats. Are, oats are an amazing component that we never played with before that adds like a chewiness to a beer that is like, it, it, it's almost like you can literally chew on it and, uh, and it's there and it's, it's, it's just this, like sweetness in your mouth. And, and I just can't wait to get the next sip. Right. <laughs> so I yeah, don't know. Oats, that, that's, I, that's how I drink this beer. And, and uh, in a lot of ways, it's not too good, you know, because I drink too many in a night sometimes. <laughs> is Ronnie over your shoulder right now? No, no, no. She's no, in okay. the house. The, okay. the door is closed. I was just making sure she hadn't come out to do some laundry or something. Terrence, you know, oh, it's a fine tradition that we have here of people doing their, of brewers doing interviews from their garages. For some reason, <laughs> I think, you know, every second person we seem to have uh, on the podcast lately have been doing an interview from from a garage, even even in the middle nice. of Melbourne winter. There's been plenty of that, as opposed to a, what we're 110 degrees over there today for you. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cooling down now, but you can see my shirt's kind of sticking to me here. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing we should reveal to latecomers is and listen to the podcast is that you you worried there might be a skunk attack later in the night as well. There, there could very, be. It's getting it's getting close to that time uh, of night. It looks like dusk. It's kind of getting dusky out there. So, so we've got that the wild little weird. thing in uh, in our tasting packs as well. Um, how, give us a quick quick breakdown before we move on to the stout. How are sours being received over there in the US at the moment? So, uh, I I would say you know I I think there's still uh, there's this hardcore group of people that really like it. And I think there's actually a lot of consumers that don't even know uh, what a sour is or what's going on with it. Um, yeah, especially this one, cause this is kind of supermarket stuff mm. um, that just really love kind of the fruitiness of it and that aspect of it. You know, it's got some tartness. It's not super sour. I, would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call this as sour and that's why we call it slightly sour. It's kind of a take on a fruited gyoza style uh, without the salt added uh, in, in reality. Um, so it's not a, you know, true uh, fermented sour with, uh, you know, acetic and lacto and uh, everything else that you would find in a, a, a true like pucker bomb. Um, but but I think um, I, I think there is a there is a core group of people that that really really like sours. I, I used to be a big fan of them. I can't I can't literally can't stomach them uh, that much. Um, you know, just literally the acids get get to me um, where it's kind of uncomfortable to drink more than you know a bottle of one. So uh, so for me, I, I think that's 
uh, that's one of those things, you know, I, I'm, I'm old school. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm 52 years old. I'm a fucking old time. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, uh, I like drinking beer and, and, you know, whenever I, when I pop open the first one, it ain't going to be the last one. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So, nice. so you that's, that, that's my opinion. I don't know. Byron might have another opinion. You know, the sour, the, the funny thing with the sour, I, I, this goes back to the hazy. We've spent the last hundred years unhazing beer and we've spent the last 150 years unsouring beer, except for, you know, little pockets in Belgium, that refuse to stop doing what they're doing and don't care what the rest of the world is doing. I, I think, you know, one of the things with sour is you can do it balanced or you can go way overboard with it. Mm. You know, it's kind of like that hot sauce thing. Like you can have some hot sauce that's flavored to food and be able to still eat it. Or you can have that hot sauce that you put on your food. You can't stand to eat it. You put the hot sauce back in the, the cupboard and you never touch it again for a million years until you dare your one friend to do that. So, you know, as far as sours, I, I've, you know, I've tried lots of Vinny sours. I've tried lots of the brewery sours. I've tried Tommy Arthur sours, which, you know, there's two different philosophies on how to do sours. One's got this meticulous, clean barrel agent room. And then, you know, Tommy's got this barrel agent room that looks like it's, a cave in Indiana Jones with one of your, with one of your huntsmen crawling across like a barrel. And, you know, it's, I, I drink what you enjoy and drink it how you enjoy it. You know, my, my, my wife loves sour beer. She, she can't get enough of it. Like the first time I had a Russian river sour at home, I'm sipping on it. I'm like trying, I was so blown away by all that was happening at once i couldn't comprehend it and she takes a sip and then practically runs off to a corner and is like I, i'm drinking this all right right <laughs> so you know to each their own it's like the stout versus the pilsner versus the drink the beer you enjoy and drink it how you enjoy it and we've um we've had a bunch of breweries i reckon in australia at the moment that have tried to out sour each other um, oh god yeah it's just like you know, out thing. Out alcohol or out IBU each other and come up with a thousand IBU. Mm. You know, like, Just like the hot sauces you did. Well, it's like hot sauces. Yeah, that's a good yeah. You know, <laughs> and this, this, I, two things about this. This, I've had a lot of my friends who know I'm in the beer industry and I love it when people say, I don't like beer, but I love this beer. I love Wild Little Thing. Yeah. And the other thing oh, yeah. is, I can, I can have two, three of these. Like, when yep. it is like 110, when I switch from stout, mm. I'll go to a wild little thing because right. it's just got that slightness. You know, it's the sweet and sour flavor to it. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. You could you could have a sour arms race, just right. like we did the ABV and the IBU arms race. But you know, when it comes down to it, my ultimate thing with judging beer is, for me personally, is will I have a second one? Yep you know, will I drink another one of these? I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell everyone here, if you ever get a chance to have an Allagash sour, you, you, you go with it. Cause oh, yeah. maybe that is maybe some of the best sours I've ever had. Uh, we, we had that cool there. ship red and uh, Terrence had I, a couple bottles. I, I literally in, I my, in, my in my fridge right over there, I have the very first batch of Allagash cool ship sitting in there that oh. i refuse to open i don't know when i'm gonna open it but someday i'm gonna open it no i'm coming over after this we're no, open no label <laughs> no we 
Yeah. We had a question in the room, guys, that both touches on the uh, the Goza you were mentioning before, Terence, but also that idea of, I guess, we were talking earlier about, you know, what's in the core range and what's not. The Otrevay, or how, that's how we say it in Australia anyway, the Otrevez, um, there's been a couple of iterations of those that sort of bounced in and around the core range. Not in the core range anymore, I think I'm right in saying. It is now discontinued, uh, unfortunately. Um, that that's, um, that was the joke. Whenever that uh, picture of uh, Make Ruthless Rye again, uh, the lady <laughs> that has to answer all of our consumer uh, questions said, because uh, someone said, uh, uh, make original Otrevez again, because uh, yeah, that is one of the well. ones. That is one of the, that's one of the ones that we get hit up. Um, but that that's one of those things that like, uh, going back to, you know, me being kind of in charge of our small brands. That's what I want to do every once in a while is like resurrect a brand. And, you know, I, I, I always tell our entire marketing department and, uh, not to, not to point to competitors and think about stuff, but you, you know what the number one selling craft beer is in the United States is right. Do, do, does everybody know that it's blue moon, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, right. Right. And, and, and yeah. okay. Everybody can think whatever they want about blue moon, but blue moon actually, uh, it wasn't until the third iteration of blue moon, the third time they actually released that beer, uh, and they got the right marketing thing behind it and I, I don't like the beer i'm not saying that that's what we're gonna do yeah but uh just the testament to like i want to kind of resurrect some of our old brands at least on a small scale um we have a we have a red wheat that we made years and years ago um that people in chico still talk about like when are you gonna make the red wheat again you know and so so i that is Otrevez is one of those brands, like especially now that we're opening up e-commerce, we can only sell, you know, United States is uh, state regulated. Um, so we're only allowed to sell in, I think, like nine states, but we're looking at getting a uh, wine, some sort of, there's some sort of other uh, tag you can get where we can go into a few more states. And why not make 500 cases of Otrevez so that, mm. that that fan that lives in, Southern Texas that loves Otrevez can order it and get it at his house. You know, it's like Porter and Stout. So we're going to taste Stout a little bit later. Like you, you can't find those anymore uh, like you used to in the United States. They are, they are literally uh, gone. Uh, most distributors order 10 cases. Um, so our San Diego distributor, I'll give you an example. He orders 10 cases every three months. And I would almost guarantee that his staff drinks nine of those. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's like, yeah, okay, we're ready. Order more porter, order more stout, you know. So now, just, where, where should we go to from here? Should we go to the 40th anniversary ale or should we go to the stout? What do you reckon is the better one to, to go to, guys? I, I say we go with 40th, mm. personally. Yeah, cool. I think it was, that's different to our run sheet for those of us who are looking at run sheets because that's the level of professionals that we are. But I reckon that's the right call to make. So if you all want to reach into your little tasting packs or press pause if you need to on the podcast, and then we'll get underway with the 40th anniversary hour, which is really in one sense, what we're here to talk about is the fact that um, this organisation, Sierra Nevada, has existed for 40 years in Australia. I guess that's a, we've probably been drinking it for at least 20. Um, Warren, do you want to take the lead from here? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, forty year forty year anniversaries. Um, it's it's kind of one one of the things that jumps out to me straight away is if you've been doing this for forty years, you, there's a temptation to go. All right, for our fortieth anniversary beer, let's do something crazy. Let's do something out of control. Let's do let's do something that's that's ridiculous. But this is classic like west coast ipa this is the this is what i think of when when i think west coast ipa lovely bitterness really lots of fruits lots of lots of bright characters on the nose um and and reasonably priced like you can you can you, you mentioned coopers when they did an anniversary beer I swear to God, it was like three times as much as it. It was it was crazy. It was good, and it was it was in a champagne bottle. It was terrific. But this is is approachable and yeah, classic. Uh, is that the idea? Is that what you're? Is that what you? That, that, that actually was. Um, so the the whole crux behind this, and uh, I I was literally on some of the discussions of like what we were going to do when we were going to come up with a 40th anniversary beer. Um, and we were actually going to call it 40 fucking years. Uh, and then we ran it by, uh, we ran it by, uh, I wish you called them 40 fucking years. And, uh, it was like, uh, uh, uh. no, 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 uh, they were going to, I don't know. How they were gonna I was going to call my 40th birthday this year that, but I couldn't have one cause we're in quarantine. So you should have been great. Well, that, there is TTB has allowed that now, uh, in the United States, there's a couple breweries that, uh, that have the F word in their, in their name. Um, but, um, we, we really wanted to, you know, we've always kind of done that. Like when we did our 30th anniversary and it was our truly 30th anniversary beer, uh, it was based off of a blend of uh, Barrel Age Bigfoot Celebration Ale, or was it Barrel Age Celebration, Bigfoot and Pale Ale all blended together, right? So our core, like beers that defined us as a company, um, when we made... Uh, our, I think it was 25th or 35th anniversary beer. Um, that was a, it was like a double pale ale with cascade hops. Um, this one, we, we definitely thought a little bit more of like, okay, we want to kind of, we want to go that line. We want to go truly West coast IPA, but we didn't want to get, you know, over the top on caramel malts or anything like that. So, um, so the idea was to, to make a very drinkable beer and make a classy West coast IPA, which is, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like Sierra Nevada defined, uh, quite a few categories early on. You know, we talked about pale ale already, um, you know, celebration ale, although it's, uh, it's got a lot of caramel malt. Uh, it is a, it is a double IPA. Um, it, it's a double IPA before, uh, Vinny decided that he hated caramel malt and he was going to make blind pig and, uh, and, and set the world on fire of what a, what a, uh, double IPA should, should be and more about the hops. Right. Uh, we, we've always had that kind of balanced type of beer approach. Um, and I think that that goes back a lot. A lot of it goes back to, um, Dressler and Ken, of just, you know, uh, Steve Dresser, our old brewmaster, of like just ma making drinkable beers 
uh, and not going that far out approach of, you know, um, like we were talking about before, just out bittering, out souring, out right. Yeah. Um. So so what after forty years is what's what's exciting you guys? Well, we we touched a little bit on all the kombucha and and the the um the little thing uh, range. Is there anything there else there that 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 you guys are really are really crazy to get into, um, especially in the small batch area, which I think is the most exciting part of Sierra Nevada. Yeah, small small batch for me because that's that is my literally I'm 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 owning that kind of stuff. But um, but yeah, really really kind of experimenting a little bit, and especially with small batch and, and starting to like. So I, I run a program uh, for the brewery called the Alpha Hop Society, um, and it's a private club. Uh, it's 450 people. Uh, it's it's based out of uh, North Carolina, our brewery in North Carolina, California, and or Chico and uh, Berkeley, California, where we have a tasting room. And uh, and it's mainly all barrel aged beers, but I really want to start expanding into doing. Uh, you know, different triple IPAs, double IPAs, and and you, kind of using that loyalty of those 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 450 people are just diehard Sierra Nevada fans, you know, and they they're not afraid to tell me what's good and what's bad that we actually produce, and sometimes <laughs> it hurts your feelings a little bit, but it's it's something that you know if you're not a brewer and you're not listening to what your consumers are saying and what they're doing, then uh, you're, you're really not, in my opinion, not doing your job. Um, so, you know, cause, cause I've, I've heard brewers that are like, yeah, you know, screw you or whatever, you know, taste, taste change and palates change and the consumer changes, you know, I, I told you I'm 52, you know, we got to start thinking about uh, a new group of drinkers that are 21 to 30. And, and so that to me yeah. is exciting is to try to get, you know and i and i've seen i've seen enough waves in my 26 years of like oh okay spirits are doing good and oh wine's doing good and oh you know beer always kind of does good but um but it's on a little bit of a down tick at least in the united states um but to me it's it's one of the most enjoyable beverages i Mm. when when you think about it when you think about pairing food i've done numerous beer versus wine tastings on food and beer smokes it every time i mean they're you know so and and the fact of you know uh, i i think the the great thing about craft beer is it's elevated beer and it's it brought it to uh, the consumer's mind that it's not a you know go go buy a bag of chips and a and a six pack of Budweiser and sit down and, 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 uh, watch some Australian rules football. If you want to sound local, it's over. Apparently it was screening. Apparently what the two worst teams in the league was screening over there on, uh, one of the Fox channels recently. Oh, Warren, the two worst teams in the league play tonight on Saturday night. They probably won't get that in the US. That's Melbourne and the Gold Coast Suns. Oh. Anyway, bringing things back to the beer. <laughs> no, no, and, 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 um, 
Max has got a uh, has got an interesting a little technical question. So the anniversary ale is sixty five IBUs. Just for comparison, uh, do you guys know the 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 pale ale and the hazy? What are the IBUs on those? Are, are we are we recording right now? Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> pale ales, uh, well, actually, actually, what you're IBUs. drinking, actually, what you're drinking is about fifty five IBUs. Just to really? be honest, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was a little, uh, so this is a great, uh, great little thing like that you deal with whenever you work at a brewery. Um, we made all the, the change we made, we, we had an original ABV that we're going to do. We're going to do like six, seven. And then we had a bunch of, like someone pointed out like six, seven, you know, might be, and we tasted that sample and it's like, ah, it's a little too much and a little too heavy and a little, um, so, so we decided, okay, we'll make it six, 6% and we'll drop the IBUs to 55. Well, we, we didn't change it on the label and no one noticed. And it was like literally like two weeks before we were going to go to production. And uh, so it came to a decision. Do we, what do we, what do you got? And it was like, you know what, just make it 55 and um, it'll be okay. Yeah, it'll be. So, uh, Tar- um, you'll, you'll appreciate this as, as the science guy, like w- wine in Australia, you could pretty much, there's a 1.5% ABV difference from the, like on your labeling, you can check, you, you've got one and a half percent. So 15 and a half percent cent uh, Barossa Valley <laughs> Shirazes can actually be labeled at 14%. So that's, yeah, it's uh, like technology has moved a little bit beyond that now, but. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, well, in, the, in the U.S., U.S. it's 0.3% ABV. I think it's about right. When when I brew really my difficult. 6.66% Metallica, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it definitely wasn't perfect 6.66%, but, yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Nicholas, so, what you did there. Thanks, Nicholas, and seeing Australia. Going back, Pale Ale is 38 IBUs. Oh, okay, uh, yes. And, and Hazy is 45, is that right, Byron? Yep. I should, um, I should know. You know, I, I got to be honest. I used to know this stuff like the back of my hand. But over over the years, they're, they're, like we're producing so many beers. I was talking to one of the brewers today, and we're, we're like going great guns. We're, we're making more beer than we've ever made. And uh, he's like, it, it was always great when we made a ton of beer when it was literally pale and torpedo. <laughs> And now it's <laughs> pale, torpedo, Summerfest, blah blah blah. You know, so we got all these different brands that they're shuffling, and so you really got to be on your toes. I don't think I could be a brewer nowadays. Uh, <laughs> it was a lot easier. So a lot of people didn't realize, and I didn't realize this until Terrence filled me in on this. Kind of the old school rule of thumb with the ABV and the IBU was that say you were shooting for like say celebration, you'd have 6.8% ABV, you'd go with 68 IBUs. So it was really, really easy in the old days, like, oh, harvest, 60, 6.7, 67 IBUs, easy cheesy. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. so, so that was the old school way. And now that we've, we've changed so much and have so many different hop varieties, I mean, that's one thing to look at with the future beer is just the different hop varieties that are being developed in this whole introduction of a hop variety that was discovered growing wild in New Mexico mountains called Neo-Mexicanus. 
and it sounds dangerous. It sounds yeah. like some sort of you know. It, it just translates to New Mexico. Right. It sounds really cool, but it's like yeah, it's New Mexico. Uh, um, I think it's the yeah. wild, wild hops just growing out in the middle of New Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, and so we've done a couple. We actually did a couple Frank Zappa beers. Uh, we actually had Ahmet Zappa come up and uh, did a couple beers with that. But it's this fun introduction of a new uh, lineage of hops being bred with. And you know, you go back to Cascade 40 years ago when Ken first started brewing pale ale, Cascade had been planted, developed by Oregon State or USDA. And they planted it and everybody was like, eh, it's you know, too much of this, it's too to this. It was so AB bittering hop actually yeah and so they were they were wandering away from it and you know that actually has a wild russian variety uh lineage way back in its its grandparents days so yeah and you know you're looking at that and cascade changed craft beer you know cascade is still one of the biggest hop varieties so you know looking at the future what's neo going to bring to the table as far as like taking it and breeding it with these other varieties and you know there's a lot going on with that um yeah i i think that's kind of you know what's the next flavor profile that people are going to want in ipas and you know we've tried some strange ones we've tried you know ones that do taste like bubblegum one of my favorite hops that's pretty um across the board is called sriracha ace and some people get dill with it i don't get dill all i get is straight up coconut with it and i love that hop and you know yeah i'd love to i'd love to have a porter or stout brewed with like special b and sriracha so nobody over there better steal that idea Uh, (laughs) i've been wanting to come to australia for a while i know dave carter out there is gonna pay for my way when uh, and get me a lawyer (laughs) (laughs) mentioned dave carter dave actually wrote a question yeah i was about to ask that Sure, Warren. Why don't you ask Dave Carter? Yeah, that hazy little thing, session edition. What, what the hell's that? We've, we've, it's just arrived oh, in yeah, late yeah, September. Yeah. Uh, That's yeah. That, that was, uh, you're asking what that is? Yeah, what is it? It's, it's, uh, uh, it's, a, we session, it? it's a session version of hazy, um, and it was mainly made for, uh, developed for the UK. Um, and for Europe, for tax purposes, try to bring in that same <laughs> same flavor and try to yeah try to have a more economical beer for consumers to enjoy. Literally, and we're actually we're we're develop we're developing another one right now that I was tasting the other day, and and that that really actually kind of springboarded us on uh trying to develop because that that's the hard thing in in my opinion is session ipas is is it's a very yeah. difficult style to brew because yeah. it comes so thin and they're just they 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 have no backbone to hold up the hops and they yep. they really become one-dimensional and they're just not pleasant to drink um in some aspects um so so it's been nice actually playing with that style and trying to uh, trying to figure that out. So. Just just a basically a comment. It's kind of funny that that so so West Coast IPA versus New England IPA. So East and West Coast, it's a West Coast 
could be. I mean, the West Coast, that dry, really, really kind of uh, biting bitterness, uh, really bright, uh, the, a different bright fruit flavour, more of a more of a, a citrus and, and herbaceous flavour. Whereas the East Coast IPA, yeah, it's luscious, not that bitterness has been soaked up by a little bit that sweetness and and the, the potential to be sessionable um also a comment that you made earlier it's the 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 transportability of an east coast ipa like the the the, the new england ipa that that you can't uh, bright fresh is an amazing experience right whereas whereas with yeah. the west coast ipa it's, I, it's I, I would say i would say a lot that um uh, west coast and east coast mimic um, the personalities of the people from the East Coast. They're a little soft. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, us West Coasters, we're a little hardened. Uh, we're a little you know, We're starting a whole 90s gangster I love rap. I East love Coast, it. West Coast. Yeah, yeah, totally, thing, yeah. You know? yeah. The, next, the next GABF is going to be, you know, know, like... I can start this debate. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, uh, it happens. It, it happens. I think in every every nation, like the West I, Coast, and I, I, I do. I do believe that the East Coast IPA is one of the. It's an. It's an amazing development. I I, I think in the IPA in the IPA category yeah. is just it, it blows my mind. Anyways, right? How many subcategories of IPA are there? Yeah, um, like we can we can go off. The you know? the idea. I, a lot of times, I say a session IPA is just a pale ale that's dry hop. You know. But yeah, that's just me. The 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 and the New England IPA just just being like there's some rules we have to follow, and they've decided. Oh well, this rule we are not going to follow. Right. And you know, I I think beer styles these days is more like the you know to paraphrase pirates it's it's more guidelines instead of rules it, it is really up to the brewer as to you know i'm not gonna go to say you know say faction and say hey dude this is not an ipa this is a blah 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 you know unless it's like right. you know it looks like a pilsner and they're calling it a porter then i might be like hey guys well i mean i mean look at look at what some of the research is going into right now is uh, especially in the bay area you got some scientists that are working at uc davis that are working with uh, uh brewing yeast uh and they're uh and we're not we're not really down with it but uh, i'm i'm interested as being a brewer um they're working with genetically modifying yeast um to actually adhere to certain thiols and hops um, to accentuate those thiols. So making a tropical IPA um, by using a yeast strain that is genetically modified to glob on to- stick to the, yeah, yeah, the hop, yeah. that's remarkable. And, and like, you know, all of a sudden you got this uh, mango bomb, yeah. you know? Um, the, so that- That sounds that, like the equivalent of Bordeaux University doing the same thing with wine, like all those different right. yeasts and, and and modifying those different yeasts that with beer. That's that yep. sounds crazy and fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. So, but along those innovation lines, um, Sierra Nevada uh, have been a big innovator, and you think of the hop torpedo with that. Um, have you had any notable? innovation fails is it is there been some things you guys have tried which are completely shat themselves i, I would i would remember say that, that we're not recording i, I would that say we're, not, early, we're not recording 
Uh, I would say the early stages of the torpedo were an absolute failure because uh, I was there. I, I, I witnessed them and I, and I participated in some of them. You know, one of, one of the first, the, how the name torpedo came about was the very first prototype that we did, which was a long, it was a four inch tube, stainless steel, four inch tube. Uh, it was probably about six feet long. Uh, and, and so Ken's idea was, okay, we'll take a keg and we'll pressurize the keg and we'll pump it. We'll fill the pipe with, with hops and then we'll pump it into the other keg and then we'll taste the other keg. Like, what oh, could go wrong? <laughs> what could right go wrong? So, like, so, and remember, this was an idea they came with at the pub drinking we, beer. Yeah, right? we, I was going to say, uh, how many pints did you have before you came up with well, this? Well, <laughs> so all, all this, everything on the torpedoes, as Byron mentioned earlier, were all napkin written diagrams <laughs> of like what we should and shouldn't do, right? And so, so, so that was one of them. And, and it completely packed the end of the thing. And uh, it was miserable, terrible. Uh, and then another one was, uh, okay, well, what would happen if we put like hop sacks into some kegs and just let them sit for a while and, and then just start dispensing them. Right. We're like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, then we forgot about the kegs that we, didn't drain and, we didn't and they ended up going on the kegging line and they packed up the kegging line and they, they pushed these socks through the valves and destroyed the valves and all the other shit. And, and so, uh, so anyways, that happened. And then the early prototypes of whenever we now took the uh, torpedo and we made it vertical. So it was a mm. vertical tube. Um, we had way too much pressure and we blew out the, uh, all the screens on them. And then we got a bunch of hops up in the, into the tanks. We had to deal with all that kind of stuff. So there's been uh, multiple failures uh, along those lines. Uh, one yeah, of, different, one, different one sizes of, ones, of torpedoes. Actually, here, here's one I actually got in trouble for. Um, I had this great idea because you, the, the torpedoes are, uh, they're 300 gallons and they're packed with about 80 pounds of hops. And then now you add beer to it, right? So you pump beer through it. How are you gonna get the hops out of that mm. cylinder? Cause I mean, it, it weighs literally a thousand pounds or more. How are we gonna get it out? So I came up with the idea, oh, they have these industrial vacuums, you know, and, and you can just suck the hops out of it, <laughs> right? And uh, well, you're, it's sticky beer right and so what happens when that thing sits for like a day and like oh, okay you can rinse it and it was just miserable and then it got all stinky and all this other stuff you know and i think we paid ten thousand dollars for that vacuum or twenty thousand dollars for the vacuum <laughs> we actually still use it to this day it's it's for cleaning up uh any kind of spills or anything like that so it still gets used so i didn't get fired i just got nailed up um but um but so what we ended up d doing is developing literally uh, jaws that are on a uh, on a forklift and it picks the barrel up and turn or takes the torpedo, turns it on its side and then we scrape it out and rinse it out and that kind of stuff. But there was literally torpedo. There was I, I'd have to say 13 different versions. There was one version where it was uh, so so it was uh, if anyone out there knows what wedge wire is. Uh, like a wedge wire, it was just this big screen made out of stainless steel, and the and the and the the workers. I'm going to step back a little bit. So the workers had to take this screen and hold it like this, and then they had to roll it 
as best they could and then they had to slide it into the torpedo well what happens is it, it's like literally like a spring right so when they had to let go of it they were let oh, go and, and this is summertime right and it's it's 100 degrees outside no one wants to wear like jackets or anything like that the, the stainless would just script and they would come to my office with just blood just running down their arms <laughs> so that didn't work either so those are some of the, the Terrence, that's exactly the kind of story that we were hoping to hear <laughs> you guys have been very generous with your time already we've blood still got two beers to go which are the stout and the bigfoot and i'm also conscious that we haven't asked some of our traditional pool room questions yet I reckon if it's okay with everyone, what we're going to do is, in the podcast version, split here to a second episode. But for everyone who's joining us in the Zoom room, if anyone needs a bathroom break oh, or a yes. go and get the staff and the Bigfoot break, why don't we just have a three or four minute little break now to go and do all of those things so that we can enjoy those last two beers properly. Uh, it's been wonderful so far and please don't go away. It's, but we've got more participants online now than we had half an hour ago. So it's great that people are joining in. Hey there, Cool Room listeners. We've got a little ad for you. No, we're not asking for money so that you can advertise quality mattresses, razors, or any of those other sort of things that seem to get advertised on podcasts. What we're looking for is other fun podcasts that would like to share a 30-second ad with our listeners, letting everyone know why they're so great, and in return, letting us share a 30-second ad for The Cool Room. We know that right now there's a whole lot of people who are looking for fun new podcasts to help them while away their isolation hours, so if you've got something to share, drop us a line via our Facebook or Instagram accounts. Right. Add over.